Welcome to another episode of We Are Carbon. I'm Helen Fisher and I'm joined by the two co-founders of One Million Ton Nation, or 1MTN for short. Annette and Christian are combining a blend of legal and financial expertise to bring forward a for-profit company that's large in both scale and in benefits for people and planet. The project is focused on land restoration across East Africa, where deforested sites are being planted with bamboo polycultures as a starting point to establish new growth for the local economy, habitat and community. It's an ambition that involves accelerating the development of carbon markets for nature-based carbon removals, and the team brings together experience from across the globe and across sectors to navigate what are ever-evolving and pretty challenging areas of business. Large-scale land restoration. And large lumps of money being brought into land restoration. Those two things may go hand in hand, but they tend to require very different mindsets, as restoration can't simply be scaled up with a one-size-fits-all. Restoration needs to be contextual, adaptable. So I was interested to learn about this project's approach and see how it may offer unique insights and inspiration for others that aspire to scale up regeneration and really weave together benefits for people, planet and profit. It has huge potential and both Annette and Christian have a wealth of knowledge to share, so I hope you enjoy having a listen. New episodes of this podcast are added every other Tuesday, and you can find them on YouTube and your favourite podcasting platforms. So don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. Right, let's get stuck in. Hi, Christian and Annette. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing what you're doing with One MTN. I think it would be really great if you could kick us off with uh, individual introductions because we've got two of you here today. Uh, so if you'd like to offer an introduction to yourselves and then if one of you can do a quick overview of the project itself. Ladies first. Oh, thank you, Christian. <laughs> yes, hi, my name is Annette, uh, Annette, Annette Garosa, to be correct in Latvian. Um, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm an international climate lawyer. I have been working into the climate slash carbon space for at least six years, uh, especially uh, afforestation projects, uh, also consulting governments regarding carbon tax implementation, uh, emissions trading system, regulatory framework. Also, at the moment, uh, consulting Article 6 Paris Agreement regulations in, in different countries. Uh, with the voluntary carbon market, uh, I, uh, I, am, um, I am also developing VERA carbon standard afforestation projects before it in Europe, at the moment solely focusing in, uh, in Africa. Uh, so that's in short about me. At the moment, I'm one of the co-founders of uh, 1MTN and together with Christian, we are looking to make the biggest impact possible in Africa. Yeah, thank you. Um, hello all. Christian Rauda is my name. I'm uh, coming from a neighboring country to Annette called Estonia. Uh, since 2006, I have been basically serial entrepreneur, uh, built a couple of businesses, sold also. And uh, last five, six years, I have been also active angel investor. Uh, so I have invested into 30 companies. Uh, majority of them are also impact startups early stage. And yeah, um, 
since uh, since last year, the, I'm very excited to be a co-founder of One MTN, um, which stands for One Million Ton Nation, where we, like Aneta said, uh, aiming for a for a for a impact, uh, including the triple P, like people, planet, and profits. Fantastic, thank you. And there's something uh, fantastic about this initiative that you've got going that's weaving together so many issues that are going on in the world today um, in terms of biodiversity loss, carbon sequestering, and then also the social impact and the social inequality and, and, and looking at things from that point of view as well as from the environment and the land. And before we get into more details about the project itself, I think the audience would find so much value in the professional understanding that you're each individually bringing to this because, as you've just described, there's a lot of knowledge here that you you both have these two separate areas. So, Annette, that's kind of the law and the carbon markets and Christian, the investing in the impact-driven businesses. That's a lot of very valuable information for people who are also trying to weave together impactful business, land restoration. They're not easy things to, to bring together, especially in a profit-driven business rather than charity. So I'd love if we could sort of just start off with a little bit of advice from each of you. So Annette, if, if we look at the idea of carbon markets and how they intersect with nature restoration... So bringing um, that sort of legal side of it and the carbon credits side by side with restoring nature. And what are the challenges of that? Yeah, actually, this is a great question. Uh, and, uh, and if you are looking at the carbon markets, why, it, why, it's, uh, why it's even developed. So the carbon markets was developed because some of the actions and also environmental issues couldn't be solved if there is not this like uh, this financial benefit for the local communities. So I really believe in in the same model what Christian already mentioned PPP people planet profit and uh, and we need to develop uh, we need to develop actions and projects where also it is uh, self sustainable along the way meaning that it's 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 also has this commercial sense and uh, and with with the carbon markets with especially with the voluntary carbon market we can get this commercial sense and also get these projects sustainable so every party benefits not only environment but also of course the project developers and of course also local communities around the project so if we are looking for the legal aspect and and my knowledge what i'm bringing on the table for 1mtn of course uh, Let's be honest, this kind of uh, knowledge, education around the climate, carbon, it's, it's very new. It's, it's not old knowledge. So every person who is dealing at the moment also with Article 6 and, uh, and the project design, they are, they are more or less two years at the moment in, in a space creating the be- and, and also uh, understanding what kind of possible solutions this kind of regulatory framework could implement so and also develop i would say that uh, that that my background at the moment as as a lawyer helps me a lot because it is still a regulatory framework around every possible country yes we have paris agreement yes we have uh, net zero goals targets and etc but in the end of the day it goes uh, actually for the country's specific um 
I would say, the, the country-specific regulatory framework, how we can implement those projects. And, and this is the one part from the legal side, what we are also uh, um, uh, using in developing 1MTN in Africa. So from other perspective, of course, uh, I'm very close to nature and, and, uh, and I have been working a lot with afforestation and, uh, and also different kind of environmental projects, also in agriculture. So from that sense, I would also bring on table in this this particular project uh, specific environmental um, uh, knowledge because we need to do environmental impact assessments. We need to calculate the baseline. We need to look for additionality. So different aspects, very specific in, in terms of the nature and environment, what we need to do in 1MTN. And, uh, and also provide to get this carbon credits and certification for our projects. So uh, I'm really excited, to be honest, uh, to make this project very scalable. The only thing it's missing is finances. So uh, at the moment with 1MTN, we are bridging this gap. And, uh, and in the future for nature-based projects to be successful, we need to develop these different finances and also attract investments. And, and this is the only thing that's needed. Land is there. People are there. Technologies have developed in past few years incredibly. The, the, the MOE solutions, digital solutions, what has been developed in the market with different players, they are incredible. At the moment, the only thing that is needed is finance. That's fantastic. That 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 brings us over to Christian really nicely. Um, so so in effect, the carbon markets are so progressive at this time. It's really everybody's learning um, in their own place, in their own context, and country. And those frameworks are are there, but it's it's trying to find your way through it, I suppose. And what you're doing with this project is very leading, sort of leading the way in in many ways. And Christian Anetta's She's just mentioned um, the complexity of getting finance into these projects. That's that's your area. You have a lot of experience in investment. What can you share um, with regards to how maybe challenging or unique the finance is in, an, in a project that is large-scale nature restoration, where the impact might be longer term than, than many business plans prepare for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah, like like Annette said, then 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 voluntary carbon market is actually a great mechanism to engage also the private capital into 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 nature financing and climate financing. Uh, my my personal belief is that we will see voluntary carbon market and carbon credits will be a pretty regular commodities in a few years time, uh, which are of course. Uh, priced on a different levels and methodologies and quality and so on. But uh, as current majority of the market is still over the counter, we will see in the future that actually there are more through exchanges which are more standardized. And this is needed because a big assets manager, of course, they, they are not only looking for a deployment of capital, uh, they are also looking for uh, returns and they are also looking for a transparent and a regulated, uh, regulated environment where they can operate in, uh, you know, safely. Right now, this is not the case for a voluntary carbon market yet, but uh, our belief is that it will be in a very short period. And, and we do, of course, the best what we know to help 
to develop this market in Africa, in Europe as well. Um, but but in a very high and general level, what all the in, uh, entrepreneurs need to understand is that actually more than 50% of the world GDP is related to nature. And this is right now pure economy. It's not anymore uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, nature, nature and saving the climate uh, talk. It's about when we don't have a nature, when, when we don't have a good climate, then also the, the, the world's GDP will be in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a high losses. So David actually quoted a, a good thing that anyone who believes in indefinite growth of the physically finite planet is either mad or an economist. So, so, so we believe that there is also a place to be in the middle. That we believe and with our business model and also engaging the investor into our business model, we can prove that you can take care of the nature, you can take care of the people, but also you can take care of the investors' interests, which are at the end of the day also uh, earning some revenues out of their uh, capital deployed. Is it in, uh, in the instrument as equity? Is it an instrument as a green debt, green bonds, project-based financing, uh, carbon forward sales, spot sales? You know, it doesn't matter. W what we see right now is that it's possible actually to meet all the criteria of PPP model, which is a people, planet and profit. So this is the thing what we, what we do and, 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 and what we are very curious about. And on top of that, um, companies uh, and offsetters, they start to understand, of course, that, that uh, different projects and different credits in the in the in the voluntary carbon market is is not all equal and here what we have discovered is that for example if we take the whole voluntary carbon market the 95% of these credits what's available and produced and issued in the voluntary carbon market are actually avoidance based so they don't actually remove carbon they avoid carbon emissions which is good which is okay but we need much more removal. Roughly only 3% of the credits issued are removal credits in the market. So this is a super tiny piece. And what we do with our project and, and with our company is that we are ex exactly tapping into this nature-based removal market, which are actually in a huge demand at the moment in the, in, in the carbon markets. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you for, for giving that overview. I think that there's so many um, very critical areas of development that are happening and that recognition um, that nature has value economically. It, it might sound a little bit cold. Um, we, we maybe should just support nature because it's so wonderful and it's the world that we live in. But to, to talk about carbon markets and finances, somebody at some point has to put a value on nature and, 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 and that, as you've said just there, we've already achieved that from the point of view of saying, well, we, we, can, we can ask companies to pay for their emissions, to offset their emissions, but we need to now stretch that further and ensure that that payment is going into drawing the carbon down rather than just restricting what's, what's going up, which is just not enough. Um, so from that point of view, you, you've offered us this really fantastic um, stage, this, this grounding of um, the work that you're doing. 
And I'd love now to dissect it a little bit, to, to understand the thinking behind your project and how you're getting that into action. So we've heard uh, one MTN stands for one million ton nation, and you're working on very large scale land restoration in East Africa. And this is a for profit uh, business plan that is going to be supportive for the investors, for the planet, for the community. Uh, let's let's sort of dig in. Let's start out uh, with why why land restoration in East Africa. Is there a reason that you've located the project there? There is a definite reason. I mean, uh, when when we started to look at the voluntary carbon markets and uh, nature based solutions projects, then uh, the first criteria what we agreed within the team was that this needs to be the most impact possible in every sense, for a nature, for a people, for investors, for a company, ourselves, etc. And uh, if we look Africa, then 27 countries out of 40, which are the most climate vulnerable, are laying in the continent of Africa. Same time, Africa produces only 3% of the carbon emissions worldwide. So as we see, based on these very hard facts, that this is the continent which is super vulnerable, a lack of financing, lack of financial capital, actually, to kick off nature-based projects, which, of course, requires an immense amount of pre-funding and, and upfront capital to, uh, to make this project happen. And due to also our network and contacts with the good friends in East Africa, then this decision was pretty easy to come, that this is the place where we need to start, uh, from uh, yeah, in Africa, which is the, the East Africa, specifically Uganda and Kenya, where we are right now operating. Uh, the climate there at the one point is perfect. Another point, the deforestation rate, they are immense. They are terrible. I mean, only a couple of decades ago, both countries had a forest, um, uh, forest coverage rate about 30% and plus. Right now, it's around 10%. Kenya uh, last year triggered uh, the, the president-led uh, tree planting campaign to plant 15 billion trees in 10 years period. 15 billion. <laughs> that's a lot. That's not only about, uh, that's not only about climate mitigation. It's, it's, it's about actually saving lives, saving livestock. Kenya had last year, in a couple of months of period, they lost uh, close to 2 million livestock. Just a short period because of the truth. So, uh, so it's it, it's not any more nice to have. It's basically a survival mode, and 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 if we're talking about the impact and and we want to make the, the biggest impact possible, then uh, I mean again, it's um, th there is not so much to uh, not so much to think about uh, why we are why we are in uh, in East Africa and and why we try to breach carbon markets and Africa. To actually to fuel the growth of uh, of land restoration and and stopping the deforestation. And the fun fact, the main cause, ninety five percent cause for a deforestation in East Africa, is due to illegal cutting of forest to get the fire food. So you know it's a, it's a it's it's a vicious circle, which is going around around. And we need to stop it somehow. And 
when we see what we do, we plant bamboo as a sustainable timber. So for a long term, actually, we believe that we can maybe not stop it, but we can hugely, you know, um, mitigate the developments and turn it around to the positive side because bamboo is sustainable. It's regenerative, meaning that people don't need to go to the forest to cut native trees, which don't regenerate themselves over the decades. So they can take bamboo, uh, make a make a, a green biochar, make a green charcoal out of it, and actually it's sustainable way of living. And uh, yeah, again, people, they will have the fire food, uh, yeah, nature, they will have the biomass to absorb the carbon and also investors and companies are also happy because this is sustainable as a business. So in many ways that degradation, that deforestation that has left the, the country in numerous different issues when it comes to uh, climate and then self-sustaining the population. You're looking to mitigate them with with new development of, of tree cover, of, of covering the land, covering the bare soil and, and growing this bamboo. I think if we sort of just go into your vision before we go more into the bamboo and, and what you're doing, the goal of one million tonnes what what does that reference and what where does that ambition come from? <laughs> yes, um, so we have kind of a mission in our name, like you pointed out. It's one million ton nation, and what it stands for it's every project that we take on as a carbon as a high quality carbon removal and nature based project must remove minimum one million ton of carbon from the atmosphere during the project period. So. That we will set the benchmark for ourselves that we don't we don't focus on the on the small scale projects because again we need to act now. We know that the era of global warming is ended and the era of global boiling has started. So there is no more time to uh, time to wait and and deal with the, with the small scale projects. We need to act now and we need to do it large scale to be actually on the good track again. And regarding the, the longer vision, by 2030, we are sure that we can actually, with our know-how, with our technology stack, we can be in a position to help African continent to restore 1 million hectares of degraded and deforested land by 2030. And this is also a great, actually, um, more, I would say that great target for us as a company, because at the moment in Africa, if we are looking with the similar projects, afforestation projects, I'm not talking about bamboo, but afforestation projects in general, they are mostly small scale. They are not commercial. So with this one, we are setting the target, as Christian already mentioned, for large scale uh, carbon removal projects. At the moment, they are not in, in Africa market because, of course, uh, these are the acting uh, little NGOs. They maybe you know, don't have resources as, as uh, bridging the finance uh, issue, as well as the, the carbon uh, carbon knowledge, how to design those projects. They are mostly depending on, on the biggest and bigger organizations internationally. So we see that at the moment with, with, with our company's goals, we are also deploying our knowledge from the, from the Estonia and uh, international uh, i would say carbon knowledge and and uh, together with the, with the with the local 
uh, knowledge, we can make it as a hybrid and just accelerate those goals much bigger. Yeah, it's it's obviously a very large impact project that that keeps coming up. The idea of how can we make the biggest impact, do this at large scale, and that that's fantastic. At the heart of the action that you're doing on the ground is large scale planting of bamboo. And I think before we learn more about the choice of bamboo, it would be really interesting to learn about how the the vision also encompasses biodiversity, because I think that's something that's going to be on people's minds. If you're going to do something at large scale, how do you ensure it's diverse and it's not just going to completely flood the land with monoculture? So I'd love to learn about that first. Yeah, I, th- I think that I will be the the one who who speaks about this one. This is uh, my favorite topic of the all biodiversity in Africa, uh, because uh, we are approaching these questions uh, from different sides. Uh, these are the questions who are um, the the persons who are asking the, those questions are coming from one side of the world, if you can put it like that, and and the persons who are answering these questions are are coming from the continent where we are operating and uh, and the emotions uh, when people who are on the ground answers these biodiversity questions are are actually these leaves me speechless and also our team speechless because uh, the reason is that what is the biodiversity at the moment in the area where we would love to implement the project it's basically a zero of course there is natural habitat but uh, but uh, but to make this project really um better for a planet and better for the future we need to measure the baseline so with with our project we believe that we need to approach bamboo planting and also manage the biodiversity that's why we have different practices and we have uh, a lot of investments before actually doing the planting work we are we are we are using the remote sensing data we are using the the operational team and we are doing specific analysis to set the baseline for biodiversity at the moment on the lands where we will be operating and uh, and we truly believe that actually the, the 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 words that we need to use is managing the biodiversity because even with the with, with planting bamboo we are using the mosaic approach so meaning the small plots of different bamboos because there are so many bamboo species which is also native and also naturalized in africa so we are not using also invasive species and uh, and um, and also different practices, for example, um, uh, planting flourishing trees so the birds can nest and also the different mammals can attack the, the, the area. We are also using intercropping, uh, bee farming, exploring ways how to do the mushroom farming. So, so we see that actually managing the biodiversity and and also having the commercial bamboo plantation and and carbon credit project it's 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 very good approach how to do this so environment can also benefit and we also make sure that biodiversity is managed because in the end of the day the local people there they need sustainable project what gives them income what gives them other opportunities for example the local community can do the bee farming in our our, our project why not and this is how we are also encouraging and also measuring the soil health and, and the health with the project itself. 
So different practices and the best way is to manage and work towards the, the best soil health in, in, our, in our projects. Lovely. So essentially, the, um, the financial ambition is the commercial bamboo and the ability that that has to bring revenue through carbon markets and then the product itself. But that bamboo is going to be intercropped and what you're actually developing on the land is a whole ecosystem that can be um, diverse to the community and their needs. Before this, I also need to add that uh, that also within our biodiversity management approach, we are also leaving the native ecosystem within the within the plots and also mosaic approach. So the native ecosystem is not removed; it 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 cons it is conserved also within this mosaic approach. But of course, uh, we need to look as a bamboo as a bigger supply chain because it's not starting uh, only uh, with the planting. We need to get this planting material, and this is also for a company when we see that we can make this bigger, biggest impact possible. Because if we are approaching large-scale bamboo plantations and also targeting, for example, four different bamboo species which are native. Uh, to the Africa in, in terms of our goals in each country, we see that actually the, the local people, they can benefit also from business opportunities uh, in, in the nurseries because we don't want to be in the whole value chain. But of course, we need to make sure that the, 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 the quality is there and that the nurseries and, and the, the, the local entrepreneurs knows how to develop the, the best uh, seedling material. And if we are looking for the other side of the of the supply chain, then of course, if we approach it as a as a commercial sense, uh, from that perspective, then Christian already mentioned that there is a huge deforestation rates in area because they need uh, firewood for cooking. How wonderful is that we, if we have from uh, commercial plantations uh, that we are able to make, for example, green charcoal then we can also solve this kind of cooking problem in area because bamboo is a, is a, is a sustainable timber. Um, it's actually a grass, a woody grass by definition, but, uh, but it needs to be well-maintained and also cut every year. So there are different uh, possibilities if we look at the broader supply chain for a bamboo. Yeah, that's lovely. So in so many ways, the... Um the current impact is negative, so negative biodiversity. There's um, continuing deforestation because the needs of the people aren't being met in a um, well-managed way. So you're starting at a negative and you're moving things forward and that, that um, has so many interconnected benefits that we could go into. But I think it's there's so many aspects to this that we could talk about, the, the huge one, that is unique, I think, in, in what you're offering is the way that you're developing the, the finance model and the, the, the money that goes through the large scale restoration. And I understand that you're about to plant uh, a pilot project, about 400 hectares um, with the bamboo. I think it would be very um, beneficial to sort of vision that forward over the next sort of coming years of how that slots into the business plan. So when you plant the bamboo, when does the carbon benefit come? And um, what are the longer term benefits of that um, pilot? 
Yes, um, that's correct. We do we do the first pilot uh, planting in this September, actually uh, planting four hundred hectares of um, of polyculture uh, native bamboo. Um, now, if we try to think it as a as a business model, like you mentioned and asked, then um, basically in terms of carbon benefits, it will start from the day one because the biomass will start to grow. In terms of when it's monetized, it's monetized after the verification has been done uh, by the third-party auditors. Um, so it's it's up to the project developer how often, what's the pace? Is it year, annual basis? Is it bi- biannual? Is it after five years? So this is the, the decision up to the project developer, how often they want to verify the project. And of course, as we know, after the successful verification, then the credits are issued and then they can be sold or retired. Um, one important uh, movement and trend what we see right now in the voluntary carbon market is actually uh, super strong interest for nature-based carbon removal credits. Because as I mentioned, it's only less than 5%, it's roughly 3% are nature-based carbon removal credits in the market available. So meaning that if the companies wants to purchase these types of credits, the only way how they can secure the supply is through purchasing the forward rights. So meaning that they will make a commitment today, they will have a commercial terms, and they agree with a project developer like us that after X period of time, they can actually claim the, the spot credits, which are then issued and verified from the project developer like us. But to do that, of course, they need to step up the game and getting engaged uh, basically in the pre-funding phase of the project. So that will be the ideal scenario, how these kind of projects, which needs an immense amount of capital, will be financed. The market is early but we see a great traction in, uh, in that space. And of course, if you go along, then, you know, as bamboo is a fast grower, some days you can even hear how the bamboo is growing because it's cracking. It's uh, growing so fast. Then um, around year three, four, five, you can do the first technical harvesting to make sure that it's enough of space to reproduce new poles. Um, so actually around year four or five, you can start also to commercialize the biomass uh, and or sustainable timber into the business model. Um, so in terms of in terms of actually return on investment period for investors, for us, for also the nurseries, for all the value chain players uh, in our business model, it's, it's very reasonable. Normally, people tend to think that nature-based projects are long, like 30 years, 20 years, 10 years at least for a renewable energy, for example. But yes, our project is 30 years. But actually, that doesn't mean that the break-even point is 30 years. The break-even point is much, much less. It's less than 10 years. Uh, so in that sense, it's it's very attractive also as a as an opportunity to to uh, jump in and uh, and explore the, the the beautiful opportunity in Africa and, and in bamboo. Yeah, yeah, that that 
it all makes um, a lot of sense. There's obviously a lot of development going on in these markets, but if, if people have the confidence to invest in knowing that that, that carbon's being sequestered, then that's, that's the future. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where this uh, moves forward. In terms of the, the bamboo itself, it's a perennial grass, if you've explained. It's, it's not a tree. But in those years after the harvest, does the canopy, does it remain? Are you taking away the entire plant or are you leaving the roots and, and it, it still looks like a, a forest, if you like? And, and this, this is the, the, wonder, the wonderful thing about bamboo. The canopy stays the same if you want maintain it well. And what does the mean, the maintenance? Because with the bamboo, uh, there is one mother pole. And of course, there is daughters who are also growing uh, every year. And uh, we are doing a color coding for each year for daughters. And uh, then each year our, our forestry experts are going and, uh, and cutting selectively uh, the, 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 the poles which are, need to be cut in that particular year. But the canopy itself, uh, it flourishes, it's, it's very green. And this is also uh, um, the, 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 the good trick with bamboo that, that not only the canopy is big and green, so meaning it can uh, good that it can give a good sequestration rates uh, for above the ground ground biomass. But actually, the bamboo has amazing renzyme system below the ground. The roots are so big, and, and this also gives bamboo a great uh, um, sequestration rates for below the ground biomass. So uh, bamboo actually is, is, is perfect in terms of the carbon sequestration, not only above the ground, but also below. Wonderful. That's great. Um, I think something that came to my mind as you were um, previously answering, Christian, is uh, you mentioned about the project leaders and, and your impact um, and your role that you're playing. I'm interested to learn how the land management and the land ownership works. Um, are you, you're not, um, by what you're saying, it doesn't sound like you're purchasing the land and then taking ownership. So, so how does that actually work? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, from, from the day one, what we have seen is that we don't want to purchase the land because that doesn't make, uh, again, the best impact. Now, how to make a good impact is that actually we are leasing the land for a period of our project as a minimum term. And then after the leasehold land, actually, you know, the landowner will get the land back with the difference that the land is restored and, uh, and afforested. So meaning that the value of the land is, is totally different. Uh, over this uh, three decades, what we actually maintaining the land and restoring the land. So we believe that this model is, is the best one because it uh, also secures a stable income for the landowners, local landowners. So they don't need to worry. At the same time, they also know that it's not about palm oil or it's not about any other plantation, which is not maybe the best choice for a nature. It's good for our nature, it's good for uh, their land value. At the same time, we also need to make sure that the land is available for the whole period of our projects to, uh, uh, to make sure that the permanency is there over the period of, of years. 
So we believe that this model, what we do right now, actually is the, again, best for the people and uh, the planet. And, and of course, uh, I, I need to comment because it's, it's coming from the legal side, uh, is that um, we, are, we are not only a commercial forestry project, we are a carbon credit project. And this gives us uh, a lot of obligations and the procedures that we need to follow. And uh, of course, we are also making the, the, the local stakeholder consultation and we are making sure that actually the grievance is there and, uh, and that we are acting uh, together with the, with, the, with the local community rights. Uh, because different countries in Africa, of course, are different land tenure systems. And uh, we, as a foragents coming, of course, we, uh, we have the local operational team with the local knowledge. And, uh, and uh, to be honest, it's not an easy work also to do this uh, leasehold plantations. It's a lot of different processes along the way. Digitalization, unfortunately, in Africa countries is, is not in a place where we would love them to be. Uh, actually, we are also doing uh, part of the digitalization work, measuring the land and, and, and having the coordinates and surveying and, and, and putting this in, in, in our accounting books and, and management softwares. So along the way, we are also part of the digitalization in, in East Africa at the moment, if also in the process of obtaining the lease for our project. But different aspects along the way, what we need to take care about. Yeah, yeah, I can see there's a, a lot of avenues that you've got to explore, and um, a lot, yeah, a lot of different disciplines to bring in to, to get everything moving. The the vision that you've got um, from that point of view of having that first harvest of the bamboo, I find it really unique and interesting that you have the ambition to make this about local community and building local economy with that product rather than having this massive bulk export of, of, of bamboo and shipping it away. I, I'd like to hear your kind of your take on that and what that vision is for the social impact in building this local economy through these uh, the outputs of the project. I think if, if I can start, sorry, Christian, <laughs> but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think both of us were in a, in a place in life where we didn't want to, to do just another business to make profit. But actually, this is, this is the place in life uh, and the possibility to, to do a greater impact for, for not only planet, for, for more people and, uh, and, and also accelerate the growth of the, of the green technologies itself. So in, in that sense, uh, in a market, uh, let's be honest, carbon credit projects in a market until now, they were designed differently. Local communities didn't benefit out of them. Benefited the people who were sitting in London glass cubics, and not only London, Swiss, New York involved as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and with our project, we want to do it completely differently. We want to approach the bottom up approach so this is how we can scale big time and also make our PPP model sustainable along the way. Christian, over to you. <laughs> yeah, from my side, I can only, you know, give a hint that please research about bamboo. If you if you're really interested about bamboo, go there, have a have a have a search on a Google, and you will find that actually out of bamboo you can make more than ten thousand green applications. 
it's an immense amount of opportunities what you can do out of bamboo. So because of this, why we should start to think about exporting the end product where there is a so big domestic market in the region of East Africa, which can easily absorb the end product. The only question is, what is the end product really is, which is, of course, sustainable, which is, of course, you know, permanent in terms of the carbon sink and, and so on. So we have plenty of choices to choose from. And not only we, but like Ananta mentioned, all the local communities as well, because along the way, we are, we are as a side product, let's say like this, we are creating the bioeconomy around the bamboo value chain which is uh, hugely also improved the uh, social and economic uh, benefits for the local communities. You, you've mentioned that you'll be leasing this land for a minimum of 30 years. You go into what is bare land, deforested, degraded land. You, you plant the plantation and all, all manner of different opportunities that that brings. And then you step away 30 years later. And, and what you're left with is is a completely transformed ecosystem plus jobs plus economy plus supply chain and is is all of that sort of ending point where you've stepped away you've stepped away satisfied that you've made the money that that you needed out of the project and the remainder is left for for people to benefit from um do you take kind of a, a sense of continuation in in that um continuing supply because the land's going to keep supplying the bamboo <laughs> i mean why not <laughs> why not to step aside uh after 30 years because if we look the whole continent of africa then actually our one million hectare by 2030 it's only one percent of the whole continent target so the whole continent actually right now is is, is there for restore 100 million hectares of degraded land by 2030. So there is plenty of work for us and for our competitors of us, our friends of us to do in the continent to actually to, uh, to make this happen. Fantastic. So basically the business plan, the finance of all of this, it makes sense and it works for you to be able to step away and leave, leave things on the table, which is absolutely fantastic. What, what are your steps now and what are your challenges now and what help do you need at this point so that you can get this um, continuing into motion? That's a, that's, that's a good question that we ask every, every week <laughs> and, and also going to the African Climate Week uh, soon. Then, um, you know, we also, we also address some of our main kind of concerns and questions there. So first of all, of course, it's all about the policy making and the regulations, which are important um, because, again, like we have discussed before, then the voluntary carbon market are still pretty unregulated, kind of uh, as a connected ecosystem because each country wants to have their own rules and uh, one, uh, their own registries and policies and taxes and so on, which is okay, but somehow it needs to be interconnected continent and pan-continents wide to make this thing really happening. That's the first point. And, and then, of course, the second point is, is, is about the land is there, as we already discussed, and the willingness to work is there. The know-how is there. 
but again, the immense amount of capital, uh, what we need and what the, uh, our similar project like LAS is needed in Africa. This is something what, what is right now also uh, very critical. Uh, right now, there is a high level talks about, you know, how to make policies for asset managers, for the corporates, for the companies, how to motivate them and how to steer them towards actually the, the financing, the, the climate issues. And uh, we have seen a couple of very good, uh, very good developments lately, because again, always raising equity is not the best solution if we really want to scale uh, and do the large scale projects. Uh, you also need to cover the capex, uh, capex costs. Uh, and, and, and this is normally what it comes from non-equity. Uh, so all the assets managers can think of actually uh, sustainable and, and secure green taps, what the projects like us can actually offer it because it's secure. We have assets what can be backed. Uh, then, of course, all the project-based financing, which are kind of uh, slash joint ventures uh, with the strategic investors. And, of course, the biggest hope and the biggest push right now, what we see also within the ecosystem, is actually activating the carbon forward markets. Mm-hmm. And I'm super happy to see that there is also some totally new emerging business models emerging out of this. For example, insuring the carbon forwards. So there are companies out there actually who is taking the risk for delivery of carbon spot credits in the name of the purchases of the carbon forwards. So all these kind of different innovating business ideas are actually uh, um, um, giving the gi- giving the tailwind for a forward market, carbon forward market, and we are super happy to to see all the new players in the in the ecosystem and in the industry to to really make this happen. Because again, without pre funding, nature based businesses will not thrive, and nature restoration will not going to be happen. Yeah, and it's also, um, you know, true and very positive push that voluntary carbon market is going towards the digitalization because four years ago, none of the projects had had MRE tool developed. Uh, they didn't use satellite images. Everything was in Excel. Everything was in, in, in with the local operational teams and, and, uh, and the researchers just... Uh, just uh, develop their uh, carbon sequestration calculations based on the on the local knowledge basically the local institutions about the forestry if we are taking a look at the forestry projects at the moment worldwide these kind of uh, new technologies and also products for example ensuring carbon forwards uh, they can be developed because the market itself moves towards digitalization. Also, standards itself, Vera introduced, uh, I think, one week, two weeks ago, their own MRE tool. So if we become transparent and digital, then we can also accelerate the growth for different kind of products uh, that can also help us getting finances. Because in the end of the day, if it's backed by uh, digital remote sensing uh, data, meaning it's it's a high quality data and we can trust it, then it also makes us easier to trust the projects like ours in, in the future that it will get credited. 
Yeah, yeah this is so much about trust and uh, building confidence for that investment. And so only by sort of taking those steps can that, that be built up, I suppose. And uh, projects like this are going to go a, a long way to inspire and support development elsewhere as well. And, and that works um, back and forth. Who do you find, uh, this, is, this is maybe a vague question, but in terms of investment and buying those forward credits, what kind of people, businesses purchase them or invest into them? In a high level, uh, the carbon markets and carbon uh, market players are divided into two. It's a voluntary and monetary. So, of course, all the all the corporates who are falling under the monetary markets, they are, of course, uh, kind of a target list who needs to think of how to how to offset their uh, carbon emission after doing the the decarbonization. Um. But of course, what we have also seen that you know there is uh, you know uh, immense amount of pledges uh, from SMEs from the corporate to the corporates as well, who just uh, commit to to reach the net zero by by twenty twenty five by twenty thirty etc. So these are also actually the companies uh, you know who can be very interested uh, to look closer what we do in Africa, what we do in a bamboo and with the local communities. These are, I think, two, two main ones. But of course, even even asset managers are actually seeing carbon forwards as one of the tools with first to hedge, second to speculate. So um, th- there is there is a different broad of categories of investors who can actually be interested of um, of, of uh, purchasing the carbon forwards. Fab, um, and with your project in particular, is there a is it a minimum? Um, type of investment that that would be viable, or does it have quite a broad spectrum? We don't. It depends. Again, of course, we don't want. We prefer long-term corporations over one-off uh, purchases. That's for sure. Because again, our project is long-term, and it's much easier to work with one strong, uh, reliable partner over the years to come. That rather than hop here and there and, and trying to figure it out along the way, who is the best one? So don't I don't want to share any any minimum thresholds and etc. It's not about that. It's more about the long term commitment. Uh, that is what we are looking for. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else that you'd like to to share that you feel that we we haven't covered yet um, that 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 would be important <laughs> for people? I think. Uh, Coming from Europe, then there is uh, a lot of um, misperceptions regarding East Africa. So I'm personally really welcoming everyone um, to find out what we do. And if you're interested, we are happy to host you, to show around our plantations, the nurseries, the communities, etc., to really see it on your own eyes. Because in Africa, there is, there is a rule. If you can touch it, if you can see it, you believe it. <laughs> Wonderful offer. Fantastic. And that's something that there'll be more to see in the upcoming months as you, you start with this pilot next, well, this month, September, your, your, your busy planting. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so happening at the moment. It's acting now. <laughs> it's in progress. Well, that's wonderful. It's been absolutely uh, really delightful to, to dig in and learn what you're up to. And I wish you all the very best. We'd love to hear how you're going and how things are developing over the, the next year or so. How do people keep in touch or learn more from you? Our most active channel, what you can have the best updates is LinkedIn. Um, so you can follow our LinkedIn page. Uh, 1MTN is a is account name. Of course, uh, me and Donette, we also uh, try to be active on a LinkedIn. And of course, our, our blog, 1MTN.com, short to, short to remember, um, is, is, is something where we try to also keep the latest updates uh, to all, uh, our followers. So please... I'm, I'm welcoming you to subscribe and to follow us. And if you don't have, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or Ned through LinkedIn as well. One to one, we are we are happy to we are happy to have a talk. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much to both of you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Helen, and uh, thank you for the audience as well. I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Carbon. New episodes are added every other Tuesday. So don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. It's a huge help to the show if you'd like to add a thumbs up or a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And let's keep figuring this all out together.